This is The Medical Beat on 97.1 FM Talk. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's uh, Saturday morning at 10 a.m., and that can mean only one thing, which is that it's time for The Medical Beat. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. Uh, You're listening to KFTK 97.1 FM. And uh, we're going to have a great topic today, a great topic and a great host. Uh, I'll introduce the host in just a little bit. Uh, the topic we're going to talk about today is something that's very, uh, very relevant to today's world. It's going to be a topic about a specific way of dealing with uh, everyday stress, something that's useful for, uh, for pretty much everybody and also useful for, uh, for people who are, who are already dealing with, with things like stress and depression. Um, as you all know, you know we've had a lot more, uh, a lot more stress recently with what's been going on in the world, with you know medical worries, economic worries, not being able to do the stuff we want to do, and just, and just not knowing, you know, how long this is going to drag on for, or how this is going to go. So, uh, so we're going to talk about that specific strategy uh, for dealing with stress and anxiety, and that specific strategy is something called mindfulness. Now, now, mindfulness is something that, that I know very little about, uh, but luckily we have brought with us a, uh, a, a here a leading expert on mindfulness. So we have here uh, Dr. Laura Chakas. Hello, Dr. Chakas. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Chakas. So uh, mindfulness, that's, uh, that's your thing, yeah? Oh, yes, it is. Yes, I have um, enjoyed learning about it and practicing it and teaching it over the past several years. Definitely. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So I guess uh, there's uh, there's about 100 things I want to ask you about that. But can you can you kind of start with um, with sort of the bare basics with with mindfulness 101? Uh, what, what what is mindfulness? What What is that? Sure. You know, I like to describe it as exercise for the brain. So if you you think about physical exercise, how it transforms the body in in many different ways, mindfulness is like an exercise for your brain that transforms your mind. And, And of course, we know that what, you know, happens in our mind affects everything in our lives. So as you said in in the intro, it definitely can help reduce stress, um, anxiety, even depression, and it also even helps us um, with our physical health. That you know lowers blood pressure. Um, it can just increase um, positive emotions. Ha- you know, we're, makes people happier. Just enjoying um, the the present moment, and so that's a lot of what it is in practice. Is coming back to the present moment every time the mind wanders away. So that's kind of the exercise part of it. Is just we notice our mind has wandered and we bring it back to the present moment by using one of the easiest ways is just using one of the five senses. So, you know, uh-huh. a simple exercise to become mindful like right now is if you just look around the room, you know, notice what do you see? You know, what you uh-huh. see, that's in the present moment. What do you hear? Notice that. What do you um feel, you know, touch your chair or table and just notice, you know, that sense of touch and same with smell. And if you happen to have some 
uh, breakfast still left in your mouth? What do you what do you taste there? And just going yeah. through any of your five senses it brings you right back to the present moment, and then you're being mindful, and that's really really one of the main ways to practice it. Yeah, and how, so so how does this? What is it about this mindfulness that that helps people, or how, how is it that being aware of the surroundings with your senses? How does how does that make people better? Yeah, great question. Because that's definitely what I get in the classes I teach. We start with this, you know, mindful eating exercise, and it it is hard to translate. Like, well, how is this going to help me with my anxiety? So, you know, it starts with that awareness, that present moment awareness. And so, if we can learn to come to the present, come back to the present moment, you know, shift our attention then we can manage our emotions better because a lot of what causes anxiety is a focus on the future. So, you know, right now we might be in the moment feeling okay, doing okay, but then the worry pops in our head. How long are we going to be in quarantine? Is my mom going to die? Am I going to get sick? How long is this going to all last? And how am I going to get a job? And, you know, all these what ifs and questions really mostly about the future. And so if we can shift our mind back to the present and, and kind of get grounded, centered in the present moment, it helps reduce the anxiety in the moment. Regular practice can actually make changes to the brain that causes, you know, more, more lasting, um, changes. So it's not just that you have to always do it in the moment, but it'll start to reduce your anxiety and stress response when you get yeah. triggered again. Yeah. Nice. So I guess, so, so one thing I'm wondering is I, and this is something I, I don't think I really got this until now. So is, is part of the main idea that a lot of the things that cause anxiety are sort of hypothetical things in the future, whereas you know, things in the current moment are, are much less anxiety provoking. So you kind of shift attention to the, to what's happening right now. Is, is that sort of the idea or yeah. is that part of it? Yeah, that's, that's, a, yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. And, you know, with what's going on right now, you know, there's a lot of, of, of truth to the worries or there's, you know, often people are worrying about things that are very unlikely. Now, even these things that, that may happen, what we tell people often is that even if it may happen that you may get sick or you may be stuck inside for another few months, it doesn't help to worry about it. You know, that worry doesn't get you anywhere. And so just being able to come back to the present and just get to that sense of like, okay, what's going on right now? And checking in with yourself and, and recognizing that, you know, okay, the way things are right now, that's really all we can control. We can't, we can't often control the future. Um, and, and those efforts to do that by worrying or, you know, ruminating or overthinking it really often cause us more harm than good. So that's a big part of it. The other part about the awareness piece is, you know, we start with that, like I said, using the five senses and also using the breath. That's a major thing of focus on the breath to Mm -hmm. get grounded back to the present moment. But then what we also can learn from that is to start identifying the where we feel the emotions in our body. So this is really important, really for, for all ages. We started teaching this with kids and teenagers, and it's so helpful if, if they can start to notice when their anxiety is building. And this is true for really any emotion, anger too. If you can start realizing, okay, I get this pit in my stomach, and then it starts to rise, and I get a tightness in my chest. 
you can feel it at the earlier stages, you have a much better chance of being able to use some coping strategies to like help yourself calm down or, you know, make a, a choice that is more in line with your values versus going out and um, acting recklessly or impulsively and doing something you're going to regret later. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. So there's lots of different parts of it. You know, it's, it's, I think there's just so much to it and I know it's so hard to, to explain. And so what I, that's what, and I teach these courses, I have found the best way and not just me, this is what research has shown the best way to really understand mindfulness is to practice it regularly. And so the research is done usually on people who have taken an eight week course and through that eight weeks, the recommendation is to practice about 10, 10 to 20 minutes a day for every day for those eight weeks. And, and that's when you're really going to see more change. Um, and again, comparing it to physical exercise, when you are, you know, you're not going to see a change just by taking a jog one day, you're going to have to exercise regularly over time to see those changes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so mindfulness is something you have to you can't just have someone explain it to you. You can't, you can't just read a Wikipedia article and start doing it. You have to kind of, <laughs> you kind of, you kind of have to, to learn about it and practice it for a while before you really get the hang of it. It sounds like. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I mean, a lot of people are using apps or YouTube videos to practice the, uh, the meditations, which is a, a, a really good way to practice mindfulness, but uh -huh. often they come up, um, against roadblocks or obstacles and without having a, an instructor guide them through, they often just quit and give up. Um, and so oh, that's yeah. what I've seen a lot. In my individual therapy practices that people will just yeah, give up on it. But when they stick, when they sign up for this eight week course and they, you know, stick with it, they really can get through those obstacles and develop a solid practice and, and really see all the benefits that mindfulness has to offer. Right, right. Yeah. Huh. And uh, and some of these things with mindfulness, it sounds, is, is it kind of similar to meditation? Does it overlap with that? Is it the same same sort of idea? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we say with mindfulness, um, meditation is one of the, the, the main ways that we practice mindfulness. What I was saying before with the five senses, that's more of an informal mindfulness practice. And then the formal practice is when you sit down to meditate. Uh, the difference with, I think, the way people generally think of meditation is that you will be, you know, chanting or trying to clear your mind, trying to have a blank mind. Instead, with mindfulness, a mindful meditation, it's generally a guided meditation that keeps guiding you to return your attention back to the present using an anchor like the breath. Yeah. You know, the breath is like your anchor to, to keep guiding you back to the present moment every time your mind wanders away. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, a, I think, a different me type of meditation than people generally think of when they hear the word meditation. Right. Okay, well, that sounds good. Hey, uh, when we come back, we're going to find out more about mindfulness, and we'll be back in just a little bit. Yours and mine, left and right, there's still two sides to everyone. You're listening to The Medical Beat. All right. Hey, we're back. Uh, this is The Medical Beat, 97.1 FM. 
News Talk. No, FM Talk. That's what it is now. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey, and we have with us Dr. Laura Chakas, who is talking with us about the practice of mindfulness. And there's a whole lot to talk about uh, with mindfulness, and I think it's something that might be particularly handy in these stressful times we have now. So one thing we were talking about during the commercial break is, is I wanted to ask Dr. Chakas, can you tell us about, I, I think when people hear mindfulness, they picture all sorts of different things. So are, are, are there some common misconceptions about mindfulness or what, what are some of the, what are some of the myths about mindfulness or the misconceptions that the people have? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the main misconceptions I hear is that um, people will think of it just as simply a relaxation technique. And it's really so much more than that, as I explained before, that, you know, thinking of it as exercise for the brain, and it can change your brain in, in so many different ways. So when you think of it just as a relaxation technique, it, you, you lose out or you're, you're missing, I guess, a lot of the benefits. But not only that, is that it's not always relaxing in the moment. Again, kind of like comparing to the physical exercise, some people really enjoy running and feel great while they're doing it. And some people mm -hmm. don't enjoy it so much. But either way, if you run regularly, you're going to get those physical health benefits. So mindfulness is yeah. the same way. And I really encourage people to keep trying, even if when they first try it, they might feel a little weird or might feel kind of anxious or uncomfortable just because it's different. It's, it's, it's just not something we're used to doing, which is, you know, tuning into the breath or tuning into the body, just focusing in on what we're feeling and thinking and what's going on around us. And so sometimes it, it is often relaxing. I'd say that is a common effect of it, but often it's not relaxing at first, but as they practice, as you practice over time, you will for sure get those stress reduction benefits, anxiety reduction, all of those benefits, but it definitely yeah. takes time. So that, that's, a, that's a key misconception is that it's a relaxation technique. I guess another thing is that it's a quick fix. You know, people sometimes think, oh, I'm just gonna do this and feel better right away. Kind of just like, as I addressed there, it takes, it definitely takes time. I think the other thing is people often think of it as maybe either a religious thing, like it's, you know, they think of like the Buddhist or Hinduism, you know, meditation kind of connotation that we yeah. get of like with, the, like I said before, kind of right. chanting. Uh -huh. Yeah, something uh -huh. like that. It's really different from that. It, it really is just sitting and being guided by just an everyday person, you know, just like me, just talking like this. I'm not putting you in a trance or hypnotizing, anything like that. It's just guiding you to yeah. keep focusing back to the present moment. So I think yeah. that's another yeah, big mis misconception that we get that we hear a lot. Yeah, yeah, and that and that kind of reminds me of the next thing. So it's so it's it is it uh it sounds like it's not not really like a new age hippie yippy skippy kind of thing or <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, there we go. Right. There's another kind of misconception I think that yeah, yeah a lot of people have had thought that but then through the years of, you know, there's such extensive research on the effectiveness of mindfulness. I think it's kind of losing that, that image that it's, you know, this young new agey kind of, even though I would say it's, I guess you could say it's still alternative medicine, but it's getting to be much more mind, mainstream because of all the research showing how effective it is. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I guess the, the, the term alternative medicine has 
means different things to different people, but I guess at least, right. but I guess there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good evidence that mindfulness really helps and really makes things better. So, yeah. Can, exactly. can, can you tell us, yeah. Can you tell us about some of the science that shows that it works? How, what have, have they proven yeah. it works or what, how do they, how do they do that? Yeah. Well, so really, you know, there's, there's so much research they've done. Um, most of it is, you know, um, looking at people's brains. They've done a lot of brain scans using MRIs of people, you know, before they start practicing mindfulness regularly. And then after six or eight weeks of regular practice, it's, it's interesting that, you know, that really does take an amount of time of regular practice. I often also compare it to taking medication. And we know like with a lot of like antidepressant um, medications that are used for anxiety and depression, they say it takes like four to six weeks to become effective and you have to take it every day. And I tell people yeah. meditation is that same way. It's, it's not affecting the brain in the exact same way, but it really, really takes that regular practice. I can't stress that enough. I know I keep repeating that, but so what they've shown in those brain imaging studies is that there's actually specific neuropathways and um, areas of the brain that actually light up and you know become more activated after this regular practice. And so these are the pathways related to um, things like that you know relaxation. These are um, uh, more you know happiness, kind of joy. Um, as well as focus. And another major benefit is in increased focus. So a lot of people mm -hmm. find that it helps them focus with school, with work. So students are using it. And a lot of businesses are starting to use it. Um, actually, they have been for a while over you know, on the East and West Coasts, but starting to use it more here in the Midwest to um, increase productivity at work. And so there's yeah. research it's really interesting. If you Google like almost anything and say, does mindfulness help this? You'll probably find a study. There's that many, right. you know, research studies done and they're not all using MRI. So some are just using, you know, either self-report questionnaires or with like schoolwork, they're showing it with grades improving and with um, businesses, they've shown increase in productivity, efficiency, people are much more efficient. And I noticed that myself, definitely. Like if I'm, kind of feeling all over the place of not being very productive. I, if I uh -huh. do a meditation and, and I've been practicing regularly, once you're practicing regularly, often then just kind of doing it one time can yeah. like bring those benefits kind of back, back to the forefront yeah. if they're starting to fade. So yeah, yeah, I, I definitely yeah. find I can focus better on my work and get things done more quickly. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, I, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of big corporations and other organizations are, are using mindfulness to try to, uh, you know, to, to help to improve the uh, efficiency and the happiness of their employees. And I, I actually, and I, I only know this because as I told you, as I mentioned before, I, I read the Wikipedia article right before we did the show. So, so that I know a little bit about mindfulness. And, and so the U S army, the U S army also uses mindfulness uh, mm. for, for some of its, for cool. some of its. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's definitely a thing. So that's, it's that's definitely and widespread, stuff. you know, that reminds me too. Yeah. Athletes are using it too. You hear a lot about, you know, professional sports teams using mindfulness. They're starting to do it, starting to do it more with like, you know, college and high school teams, but it's, yeah, it's definitely um, a growing field, but it's really spreading pretty far because of it. It just helps with so many different areas of our functioning. Right. 
Yeah, sure helps with all sorts of things. So, hey, mm-hmm. I, I hear some, some mindfulness-sounding kind of music there. Uh, we, we chose this music uh, especially for this topic. I hope, hope you enjoy it. And uh, that music is Chad telling us that we have to go for a commercial break, but we are going to be right back. We're going to talk more with Dr. Chakas in just a few moments. Listening to the medical beat. We're back. I like that little jingle there. Do, 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 do. Okay, we're back. This is the medical beat, uh, 97.1 FM talk. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey, and we're, today we're talking with uh, Dr. Laura Chakas. Uh, who is uh, an expert on mindfulness and CBT. And we're talking about mindfulness today. And uh, I think the first thing I want to ask about is one, one thing I wasn't totally clear on is it sounds like mindfulness is something that's helpful for people who suffer from anxiety and depression, but it sounds like it's also uh, helpful for people who are, uh, you know, doing okay, but just want to feel better or feel at their best or what's, What's, what's that about, Dr. Chakas? Yes, exactly. So, and we were talking before about the research that's been, you know, a lot of research on mindfulness for people who have depression or have anxiety, you know, a diagnosed condition. And there's definitely, you know, evidence to support uh, mindfulness and in, in helping those people feel better. But also, yes, like you said, just for any everyday person, it's really um, I think of it also like a preventative, you could call it like preventative medicine. And mm-hmm. again, I mean, I'll just keep c- coming back to my analogy of the physical exercise. You know, we um, a- as uh, doctors, therapists prescribe, you know, often prescribe exercise for depression. Well, you can also use, you know, physical exercise is very helpful for everyone, not just people who are depressed. And mindfulness is the same way in that um, it can help anyone just feel better, just um, feel more alert, awake, feel happier, just really enjoying life more and um, more connected. Another big thing is um, it improves relationships because it helps people, you know, if you're paying attention in the moment more, think about, you know, if, if your mind is jumping to the future and all these worries and and what ifs and again everyday worries not even someone who's diagnosed with anxiety but just the worries of all of what's going on right now whereas if you were more focused in the present and could focus on the person that you're with even if you're talking on the phone with them or however it is that you're with them if you're focused more with that person in the present moment, your relationship is going to improve. So there's a lot of evidence there that it helps you improve relationships. As we talked about before, improving performance at work, school, athletes, you know, um, performance, um, music, musicians, it helps their performance. So there's just so many areas it can be helpful to, yes, every, every, every person and really starting at any age. Um, They start teaching it in preschool often I usually start teaching, I've started more with kids around the age of eight, but I know that, yeah, they are using it in preschools and, and up to elderly. I have people in my classes, even with some dementia, and they're still getting some benefits from it. So oh, really yeah. is a very wide, wide range of, of people that it can help. 
Yeah. And how do you how do you teach mindfulness? Like how do you how do you help someone learn how to do that? Yeah. So, you know, I do in my job, I do individual therapy, but I, but I also teach these mindfulness classes and experience doing both, like teaching it in the individual therapy setting versus the classes that people benefit the most from the class. And so I'll describe that setting where it's a class usually in our office where we have, um, you know, about eight to 12 people and we, I co-lead it. So there's two instructors and eight to 10 students and we meet for an hour each week, once a week for eight weeks. And each week we do a different meditation. So a guided, you know, mindfulness practice, as well as we do some informal practices and we talk about, you know, what people notice and we talk about obstacles to practicing at home to help people overcome those obstacles. And then we also talk about applications of how can they apply it to different situations and how can they, you know, use these mindfulness principles to better their lives in, in whatever ways they're, they're wanting to. So that's the the most effective way and really the research supports that and also that's what i've seen in my clinical practice when i've done it with you know in one-on-one therapy i i'd say that i might teach it in the same way but not getting the same effects and i think it's because people if they don't make that commitment to that eight-week course they often just give up and often I think that it really helps to see others going through the experience together. There's that shared experience and accountability that really, really helps people um, do best, you know, learn this, the techniques and keep up with it. And so now, even though we're not in the office, we are doing these online and and we're still getting the the same results. Great, you know, um, great benefits with um, we're finishing up an eight week session right now and and people are really attending and actually finding it really nice and easy to not have to go anywhere and just turn on their computer and and do the class. You know, we do it live over the online video. So cool. So so, uh, so you do you do mindfulness classes over like Zoom or something like that? Yes, exactly. Yep. Nice, nice. And I think just a little later in the show, we'll also uh, make sure people know how to get hooked up with that if they're interested, because I, I think a lot of people might be interested, uh, might be interested in doing that. It, so yeah, it sounds like mindfulness really, to, to really be good at it, people have to have to do it for a while and kind of get some instruction and some, some guided practice. You know, like we said before, you can't just, you can't just read about it and do it. And, right. and probably, and uh, I guess like watching YouTube videos might be better than nothing, but you know, you know, g- graduating from YouTube university isn't, isn't always that helpful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You'll get maybe some benefit from that, but yeah, you're not going to probably get the full benefits um, unless you have a trained instructor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that, that you, you all kind of combine it with uh, you combine mindfulness with, Another thing, which is CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, how, how do you combine the two, and what's the what's the difference between those two approaches, and how do they how do they go together? Sure. Yeah. So they're actually really quite different because CBT or, or cognitive behavioral therapy, as you said, is more of a change based approach. So what we do with that, and that's what I primarily use in my individual therapy practice is we look at 
people's cognitions or thoughts and we look at their behaviors and we look at how we can make changes to those to affect how they feel. And so it's, it's looking at how to change their thoughts and feel or thoughts, behaviors and feelings. The mindfulness is, is much more acceptance based. And so instead of changing, we're looking at how can we learn to accept the way that we're feeling? How can we learn to just sit with these feelings? We may not be able to change them, but can we just allow them to be as they are? And it's actually been, even though there's such different approaches, combining them together, and there's a, an actual course, um, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy that really melds these two together nicely. And huh. it, it really is helpful because you can, the idea is that you can learn to sit with and tolerate emotions, but then you can also become aware of, well, maybe this thought isn't so helpful. And maybe this is one that I'd like to challenge and, and learn to change. Or maybe this behavior isn't helping me. Maybe a, a healthier behavior would be more would be more helpful to me. And so you can through both, you know, I guess combining those two, the the change and acceptance, get a, you know, really good results. And so that's really the approach that that actually I'm really doing that more. I'd say in my individual therapy as well is focusing much more on the acceptance of based approach of mindfulness combined with CBT. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like in your practice you see individual patients and also you you do groups and kind of teach people as a group how to do mindfulness. Exactly. Yes. And yes. And, and the CBT also. So yeah. I guess I guess there might be some advantages of that. I was I was kind of thinking about like like going to the gym, you know, when you go to the gym and there's other people there, you kind of have to do it because of peer pressure. So maybe, uh, maybe mindfulness is kind of like that too. You see everybody else doing it. So, so you're more, yeah, more exactly. I think, that, I think that does have something to do with it. There's something yeah. to be said for that group mentality of a little bit of peer pressure can help some because yeah, you see, you see others benefiting, especially, you know, everyone benefits at their own pace, I would say. So sometimes when you're really struggling and you're not seeing the benefits yet, but then somebody else reports, wow, you know, it's really helping with this. And, oh, my husband noticed this benefit and all these kinds of changes. Then it's like, oh, well, I better stick with it so that I can get some, get these changes too. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how about, and I guess, uh, so, so you're sort of focusing on mindfulness and CBT in your practice. Uh, I guess we, we just have a little bit of time left before we go out on break. But I, I was just wondering, out of all the different things that different psychologists do for their careers, was there anything in particular that kind of drew you to, to focusing on, on mindfulness? Well, you know, I start actually I started with CBT. That's what I, you know, started learning and the effectiveness of it, especially with anxiety disorders and OCD. And then I started hearing about all the research on mindfulness. And at first I was skeptical, kind of like what you were saying, like, is this some new age thing? But then yeah. I, I really think the research won me over. I just couldn't, you know, get around like, yeah. okay, there's just so much evidence here pointing to this. I better learn this. And, and I practiced it personally. And then once, you know, I saw it, it made me feel better, helped reduce my own anxiety. And wow, then I started oh. using it with clients and I see, the, these changes. So I, I, 
yeah. it really was something that later, I'd, well, not later in my career, but, you know, after I'd been practicing about five or so years till I really yeah. um, started yeah. with the mindfulness approach. And then, yeah, yeah now here uh, going on almost 10 years later, I'm, it's really one of the main approaches I use. Cool stuff. Hey, well, we're hearing that here. So uh, we're going to head out to a commercial break and we'll be right back. Listening to the Medical Beat. All right. Hey, we're back. All right. This is the Medical Beat. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. It's 97.1 KFTK. And uh, if you missed it, if you missed the first part of the show, then uh, first of all, what were you thinking? And second of all, you can still catch the first part of the show. For, for the first part of the show, we had, uh, and we still have her here, we had Dr. Laura Chakas telling us all about uh, mindfulness. Mindfulness, which is a strategy uh, for stress reduction, for uh, anxiety reduction, uh, for, for, helping over, for helping everyday people, and also helping people who who particularly suffer with depression and anxiety. So uh, we talk all about mindfulness and also uh, how it combines with uh, CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. If you want to know more, and t tell me if I've got this part right, Dr. Chakas, but so it sounds like you and your and or your practice, so, so you're in a practice that's sort of a couple miles west of uh, Interstate 270 on Olive, and, and I guess... You're doing a lot of stuff online also, but if you if people want to find Dr. Chakas, um, the correct spelling is C-H-A-C-K-E-S. Is that right? Yes. Woohoo, mm -hmm. I got it. C-H-A-C-K-E-S, Dr. Chakas. And it's uh, the, oh, tell me if I've got this right, the Center for Mindfulness and CBT. Is that you right? You got it right. Yeah, yeah. The oh, only thing is we're yeah. east of 270. Huh? We're a couple miles east of 270 on Olive. Oh, you got that right. And yeah, the oh, Center right. for Mindfulness yeah. and CBT. And the right. easiest way to find us is our website, which is mindfulstl.com. So, oh, we have an easy to remember website. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mindful so you can find all our services. We have a, a bunch of different providers, therapists, uh -huh. psychiatrists, all kinds of uh, services. And we teach the, the mindfulness courses there, like you said, at the center. But right now, everything's being run online. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So mindfulstl.com. And uh, right, you're east of 270. What was I thinking? Yeah, and and, and also, <laughs> pe also people can use Google. So Google is a thing, also. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so, so easy to find. And you've got uh, you've got some sessions coming up, I know. Yeah, we'll also. be starting the beginning of June. Uh, a new eight week session on mindfulness based cognitive therapy. And just, again, like you said, it, it's really for people with anxiety and depression, as well as just anyone who wants to reduce their everyday stress and just kind of enjoy life more, feel happier and focus better, any of those things. So if you want to get more information, just go to our website and you'll, you'll see the information. Yeah, well, I think there's, there's probably at least, 
at least a few people out there who would like to feel less stressed out. So that, that sounds yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So that, that's good. And I guess also your practice is uh, accepting new patients for regular care also for, for psychotherapy yes. and things like that. Okay. okay yes, good. we are. Yeah, so so that, that's a place to find a therapist too, if, if you need one. So all Exactly. Right. And that's all being done online right now, temporarily until we feel it's safe to go back to the office. Yeah, nice. Okay, good to know. So, so one more time, that's, uh, this has been Dr. Laura Chakas from the Center for Mindfulness and CBT, and the website is mindfulstl.com. All right. So, hey, we are going to switch gears now, and we're going to talk about something, uh, something a little different. We're going to have a moment of science. Can you play the thing, Chad? Yeah. And now for a moment of science. Science. Science, yes. Yes, brothers and sisters. We're going to talk about, about science now. We're going to talk about science. So um, the, what we're going to talk about here is that just, is that, you know, with, with the uh, COVID pandemic recently, pretty much everything not having to do with COVID has been sort of on the back burner in the media and on the back burner in the, the newspapers and the websites and so forth. So you might be surprised to learn that there's been a whole bunch of good science going on that, that has nothing to do with the coronavirus or, or with COVID. So science, is, science is still advancing. It's just you don't hear about it because understandably everybody is, is very preoccupied with what's going on recently. So I'm going to tell you about one advance that's happened recently in science that, that, that probably you have not heard about yet. And it's an advance in understanding, um, in understanding the illness of schizophrenia. And just, just as kind of a real quick update here. So schizophrenia is an illness that afflicts a little less than 1% of all people. They suffer from hallucinations, delusions, and also just cognitive problems, just problems thinking straight. And, uh, and medicine helps, but it doesn't cure it. And we, we've got a long way to go uh, to, to do better at treating schizophrenia. So just a lot of the disability in the world is, is from schizophrenia. So the, the recent advance is that they found a lower level of a, a substance in the brains of people who have schizophrenia. Uh, the substance is called sphingosine 1-phosphate. That's five syllables, and that, that exceeds the... Uh, a syllable count for this, the allowed syllable count for this show by two syllables. So we're going to call it S1P is what they call it. So, so this S1P is something that's involved in, in, uh, in cell signaling and also when in the development of the brain, it's involved in a whole lot of different things. So we, we found, or scientists have found an abnormality in that molecule and the way the body handles that molecule that in the future, in the future, pretty good chance that'll help our understanding of what really causes schizophrenia, and it might also lead to a better understanding of what we can do about it. So that's it. That's our moment of science. Hey, quick question, Dr. Chakas, can the schizophrenia benefit from, can you do mindfulness for schizophrenia? Well, yeah, that is an interesting question and something, you know, I have, we don't see much in our clinic, but yeah. I would say that, you know, just the general stress level, I mean, it, if someone with yeah. schizophrenia were to have their, you know, um, symptoms managed by medication, then 
it would definitely help them manage their stress and anxiety that that comes along with their illness. So definitely they could get, I would assume, some benefit if their main psychotic symptoms are under control. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they they can get stressed out like anybody else, I guess. So, yeah. 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 All right. All right. Well, hey, uh, our time's almost up. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Chakas. And this is this has been The Medical Beat. We'll be back next week. Ciao.